Hi, friends. Welcome to the Rock Your Joy podcast. I'm your host, Anya Rock, a woman, artist, entrepreneur, mom, and high-performance coach. I'm working on becoming the best version of myself and inspiring others to do the same. This is my invitation to you to be part of the collective shifting of consciousness. Let's choose love. Let's choose joy. And let's rock your joy one day at a time. Hi, friends. Welcome back. This week, we are diving into money, money, money. I know, I know. It's something that nobody really likes to talk about. But as women, entrepreneurs, head of households, we need to talk about it. And not only should we be talking about it, but we need to understand it, celebrate it, and get really savvy with it. My guest today is helping more entrepreneur women not only claim the CEO hat for their business, but also the CFO. Jamie Trull is a financial literacy coach and profit strategist who helps business owners understand the finance side of their business so that they can make and keep more money. Prior to becoming an online entrepreneur, Jamie spent her career rising in the ranks of finance leadership in the Coca-Cola system. After leaving the corporate world, In search of a more balanced and fulfilling life, Jamie leveraged her background and her CPA designation to serve women-owned businesses as a virtual CFO. Recognizing that there was a lack of truly accessible and understandable financial education resources for small business owners, Jamie pivoted her business toward creating resources to help fill that gap and impact more people. Today, Jamie has helped thousands of business owners feel more confident about their finances through her resources and programs. Welcome to the show, Jamie. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you. So Jamie, tell our audience a little bit about you and your story as a female entrepreneur and a uh, the finance literacy expert that you are. Yeah. So it's been a little bit of an evolution. I am a reformed kind of corporate girl. I'm a CPA by designation. It's not something I always like to claim. (laughs) It's not the most impressive uh, thing to talk about. But overall, I am a a numbers person. I always have been that way. I've just been drawn to numbers. I'm an an overanalyzer. I'm a data person. I love all of that. And I didn't realize for a long time that that's weird. (laughs) So but apparently that's kind of weird, but I love it. It's been kind of what I have enjoyed. And so I left the corporate world, goodness now, I guess it's been about four years since I was officially um, employed in a leadership position at uh, Coca-Cola. And leaving that environment is exceedingly different from what I do now. And it's been kind of an evolution over time as, as people who are entrepreneurs know, right? You enter business thinking one thing and then You look back and you're like, how did I even get to this place from where I started? So I actually left my corporate job with the intention of, I was actually nine months pregnant at the time, going through my second multi-billion dollar merger when I had that moment of, is this this really, is this what I want to be doing? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what I do is that I'm, I'm very risk averse until I'm not. And so at a certain point in time, I just decided, you know what, I think like it might be time to change everything in our lives. So let's have a baby. Let's move to a different state. Let's I'll leave my job. You leave your job, you know, and, you know, we just 
uprooted our family and moved. We built a house, you know, technically with neither of us really having (laughs) our next move planned out yet, which is very not me. Uh, But it was the best thing that we ever did. So we moved to Nashville, Tennessee. Um, We put down roots. It's where I'm from. And at the beginning, I just kind of started working with small business owners as a way to bring in some extra cash, but also be able to stay home with my daughter for most of the time, right? And then that kind of snowballed over time into realizing that there was a, a, a need. Firstly, that was kind of when I was like, oh my goodness, there's such a need um, specifically among women entrepreneurs to feel comfortable in the financial elements of their business. And so when I started talking more broadly and using the power that is social media and the World Wide Web to reach people with this message of empowerment around women in business and money and finances and how to manage them, the business just went in a totally different direction. And I am so happy for it. Like, I feel like it just ushered me in the direction that I was supposed to be going the whole time and didn't even know it. I never could have foreseen or planned or tried to over control the situation. I ended up exactly where I was supposed to be, which was helping primarily women entrepreneurs with their finances, understanding financial literacy, and then maximizing their profit and, you know, reclaiming their life back as well, which I think is a really important element we don't talk enough about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, full disclosure, I've been following you. I was, we were talking earlier and I was sharing that I've kind of been watching your journey for Amy Porterfield and as you've been building your courses and I took a masterclass that you did and I, what stood out to me the most was you said, we are all kind of championed to be the CEO of our business and our life, but nobody is telling us we have to be the CFO. That is kind of something we assume we'll get taken care of or we'll pass it off to our CPA later, but really taking ownership and really understanding where is the ship going and how am I in charge of steering it and understanding profit and loss and how it all works is a complete change in mentality. So I would love you to expand on that. Absolutely. I th- I think that that's kind of the empowering thing these days is like, we're the CEO of our own business, but you don't look out there and see any business that exists that just has a CEO and not a CFO, Right. The the big businesses out there have a CFO because they know that not only do you need the big vision, which is typically what comes from the CEO, you also need the understanding of the data. And so what what ultimately is the perfect marrying, which typically in a small business, when you're the only one, or maybe a very, you have a couple of employees possibly, right? You're not going to be able to go out there and hire a CFO, (laughs) right? I mean, there are some fractional CFOs and things like that, but for the most part, it is you as well. And so that's where the big vision and the ideas and all of this that kind of is the CEO space needs to marry with the CFO, which is understanding and sense checking versus the data and understanding your numbers and also using that as a checkpoint for where your business needs to go, right? You don't want to, you don't want to overly rule by either one of them. I think that that's really important that We can't just fully lean into the CEO and just have these big dreams and vision, but have no idea what the cost structure needs to be and how to make sure we're profitable, right? But we also can't just have the data side, which is, you know, a little bit more typically risk averse, right? The data will always kind of, you know, make you feel a little bit scared (laughs) sometimes. So you need to have both of those. And if you can almost, I I joke about this, but I literally on a quarterly basis, this is a serious thing that I do where I will, and I wish I had my CFO hat. I have a literal CFO hat. I need to get a CEO hat, but I will have a conversation with myself. 
And I will sit down and say, okay, now we're going to have like our leadership meeting between our CEO (laughs) and our CFO, and we're going to talk some things out. And I'm going to let myself have time as the CEO to dream big and have all the ideas and all the things. And then I'm going to look and say, okay, now let me put my CFO hat on and see what's actually feasible and what is also supported by the numbers. And the great thing when you do that is it's not like a buzzkill type of thing, you now feel even more empowered in the decisions you're making in the direction that you're going in your business because it's not, you don't feel like you're just going based on gut. I I talk to so many business owners and that's what they tell me with regards to finances. They're like, I feel like I'm just kind of winging it, (laughs) right? I feel like I love my business and I I have vision for where I want that to go, but the finance side, I feel like I'm just kind of winging it. And that's how you take that away, that feeling away and give yourself more confidence is to learn more about the financial side, not just think of it. And I think this is where you're getting to, right, around, well, sometimes we think, well, I'll just have, you know, I'll get an accountant or somebody will handle that for me. We think that way because oftentimes we're thinking about finances in terms of compliance, meaning Uh, I have to do my taxes and I don't want to go to jail, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? And so that's really, it's more about, I want to pay the least amount of taxes possible and I don't want to go to jail. And that's what we think of when we're we're talking about finances. But what I really want people to understand and want business owners to understand is that finances are so much more than that, right? Finances are what tells you when when should you bring on a, a new product or service? How much should you charge for that product or service? right? How much should you pay your employees? How much should you pay yourself? You know, how much should you reinvest into your business and on what, right? So it's all of those types of decisions. And those are not types of decisions that you want to outsource. Honestly, you can have someone helping you and consulting with you, but ultimately nobody cares or knows as much about your business as you do. And those are decisions that you need to make, but you have to be informed enough in order to make those decisions, right? And then there's a huge level of relief when you have the knowledge and and feel the confidence in making those decisions and actually having something to back it up, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you're partnering with your people, right? Your financial, maybe your CPA and exactly. outsourcing it to them. Yes, you absolutely want to have and need to have those people as well in your life, right? You need to have your team around you that's going to support you, but that doesn't mean that you kind of shirk responsibilities, right? It doesn't mean that that isn't ultimately still your responsibility at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So for the female entrepreneur who's been, you know, maybe avoiding this or, you know, outsourcing it completely and just saying, you know, I, I don't know where to start. We obviously have a few different levels of programming and and tools, but what are some of the key things you're teaching women entrepreneurs about where to start or how to shift this mindset? Yeah. So I think sometimes it first starts with understanding just basic financial literacy as it relates to business. So accounting, finances, taxes. You do not need to know the tax code. (laughs) And in fact, that's probably, you know, not the best place to put your time. You do not need to even really understand, you know, all the debits and credits and and all of that, but the general understanding of, you know, what is a P&L? How do I read a P&L, right? What what does it mean to me? Um, What can I garner from it? What type of data should I be tracking? And I think that's, that's sometimes one of the things that we run into is we just track things for taxes versus tracking what we need to make decisions as management, right? What data do we need? And so that's often the first step is thinking about, 
Okay, let's put aside what we have access to easily and all of this. What information would be helpful from a numbers perspective in making decisions in my business, right? It's just first and foremost, what information, if I had easy access to just press a button and what, run a report, what would I wanna see that would then help me feel more confident in making you know, whatever decisions I needed to? And so that's usually where to start. And then you can work with um, a bookkeeper or someone like that to actually create a system that gives you information that you need, right? Sometimes we start with really simple, like maybe it's just a spreadsheet or really simple, um, you know, accounting software or something like that, but we just use it basically to record our expenses and we're not really doing a whole heck of a lot else with it. These systems have so much capability to give you all the data in the world. It's there, you just need to, you know, set it up that it can give that to you. And so I think that's often a place to start too, is not only understanding basic concepts, um, but thinking about the reports that you would like to see, right? What would work for you and your business? And then how do you make that happen? What's the most surprising thing that you've, as you've worked with a client, maybe that they've decided to track that might have been completely, I know you said something that's not taxes, because that is what we think of. Yep. Well, I'll track my expenses. Give us an example of something that like you helped a client kind of shift that was a big change for them. Oh my goodness. I have a great example for this, actually. Um, one of my clients was someone who was, you know, I, I'm not going to give too much specifics about the industry, but they were selling different products and they had multiple different products and they were profitable-ish, but not overly so. And they were trying to figure out why that was the case. They were just like, I don't understand why I'm not seeing more profit than I am. And so I asked like, okay, do you have kind of your profitability by product? Um, and then they sold these products in different packaging as well. So there were a lot of different iterations of what they were selling. And I'm like, do you know how much how, how much profit you're making on each one? Well, no, they, they didn't, they weren't tracking it. They kind of had it sort of in their head, like, oh, you know, the back of the envelope math, right? <laughs> but there were a lot of costs that were not being included in there, including their own time, including the time of their workers, right? And so I sat down and it was a very manual process because the system was not set up in a way to track this. And again, that's one of the things, profit margins by products is a great thing if you're in a product business or profit margins by service or package, if you're in that kind of an industry, so that you know, you know, what are the direct costs? And I'm not talking about like all the overhead expenses, but the direct costs that are going into that thing. So when I sat down and did this very, very manually, right, like literally using invoices of, you know, purchases and trying to put this together, what we realized was they had a couple of products that were killer, like 50% plus margins doing great. But their number one seller, the number one thing they sold the most of, they were losing money every time they sold it and they didn't know. Wow. And that sounds like how could that be the case? But sometimes with like costing and things like that, there's a lot that we that we aren't that we won't see, right? So it's not as much of I bought this for this amount and then I sold it for this amount. There are other things that go into that oftentimes. And so without going in and diving deep and saying, okay, when you sell this product in this type of package, you're actually losing money. And they were like, oh no. <laughs> What in the world? And so what happened with that shift was the very first thing that they said to me was like, but we can't, what do we do? Because that's our number one seller. And I said, well, <laughs> it's your number one seller because you're selling it for less than the cost to make it, right? And they were like, oh my goodness. And so 
then, you know, we had to look at, do we eliminate it? Do we just change the packaging? Do we slightly change the pricing? Do we find a way to reduce costs, right? There are a lot of different options that you have once you know the problem. But if you don't know the problem, you can't sit and delve into what those options are, right? Because you don't even know there's a problem. Right, which seems like maybe kind of a universal truth about the whole financial picture, right? If you're not willing to really sit down and look at the numbers and, you know, then you then you can't even know there's a problem there, mm-hmm. which which is kind of a microcosm of the whole of the whole picture. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fascinating. So you also say that your mission is really to help women entrepreneurs go from surviving to thriving. Mm-hmm. And by educating them through the numbers and through these processes. So do you think that most women entrepreneurs are just surviving? Are we kind of trying to do it all? And and what are you seeing as you, because you have access to such a broad range of women entrepreneurs, what are you seeing and how are we going to shift that? Yeah, I think that is one of the things that I see most often when I look at trends with women in business, they're oftentimes exceedingly burnt out or have been going through cycles of burnout, right? And that is 100% of a place that I have been and am actively working on not getting back there, right? It seems like everybody has to learn it the hard way, but I want to, why do we have to do that? Why can't we, you know, create something better where the expectation is not that you, that it sucks everything from you? Right. Like I went from a corporate environment where the reason that I left was because I wanted that flexibility and the freedom and I wanted to reclaim my life. And then I recreated the same thing in my business where I basically was a slave to my own business, but it was my own doing. And I think some of that, you know, it is obviously a complicated thing because oftentimes we're also, you know, not just running businesses. Maybe we're moms or maybe we're taking care of, you know, aging parents or, you know, any number of things that we are also doing in this world. And so we only have so much to give. So what suffers is then us, right? Oftentimes what suffers is us and our health and our sanity. Um, and then everybody else suffers as well, right? <laughs> when when everything's not okay with mom, then you know, I mean, how that trickles down. And so I think a lot of what that comes down to is number one, expectations that we put on ourselves. And then also, you know, with the money aspect, we have to change our mindset around it to understand that our time is worth money, right? And valuing that when we are setting prices and things like that, and knowing that when we pay attention to where our money is going and make sure that we're putting it into places that are actually going to actively grow our business and allow us also to kind of step back a little bit, that's the best kind of investment. So, you know, when you go through the process of looking at your pricing and raising your prices to what you're actually worth, right? And buying back your time by maybe um, hiring employees who can do that work, you know, on your behalf. There's so many things that we can do when we manage our finances well versus kind of frittering away our money, which is what happens, right? We're kind of like, wait, I had money, but like, where did it go? And when's it coming back? Like, that's how it feels sometimes (laughs) as an entrepreneur. (laughs) It feels very like, like it just could crumble at any minute, which makes us not make great decisions with our finances. And so one of the things that I typically recommend that people do is set aside, you know, obviously we wanna be kind of setting percentages on what we wanna pay ourselves and things like that, but also setting aside how much do you wanna reinvest back into your business and building out a process where you're routinely, when you're making money, part of that, instead of it frittering away on this and that and not even knowing exactly where it went, right? 
putting it into a fund that grows over time that then allows you to have a bigger pool of money that you can use to actually reinvest, right? And and buy back some of that time. Maybe it's hiring somebody, maybe it's uh, purchasing machinery and equipment that are that's gonna help you do things faster, right? You know, maybe it's it's outsourcing to a bookkeeper or CPA so that you don't have to worry about any of that anymore. Um, I think buying back our time is one of the best investments that we can do and then making sure that, okay, there's a couple different options I have here. Now I can either, you know, put that time back into my business, into what I'm best at and into the thing that only I can do. That's an option. Or you know what? I'm just going to take that time and just have more freedom in my life to do the things that I want to do, right? But when we have more time, we get to make those decisions. And that really comes from setting ourselves up on a financially fit way to begin with. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that in all of the groups I'm in for women entrepreneurs, and especially mother entrepreneurs, moms, when we're wearing multiple hats, hiring out and building a team of support is the hardest thing for us to do. It's like we are just trained to die on the hill of mm-hmm. I can do it all. And it's such a, a shift in mindset and obviously a financial shift in mindset. It feels like that always comes back tenfold because we do free up that time and space. Yep. And I think that's the thing where if you also have knowledge of your finances, like some of that fear sometimes comes from just like, I don't know if I can afford this, but when you know you can, right? When you have money set aside for a specific purpose that you're like, okay, now I know that I can afford this. You don't have that same reservation. But I think you're absolutely right though about how we will die on the hill, right? We're like, I can do it all. I can do it all myself. Look at me, you know, spin all the plates. (laughs) And, you know, we, and honestly, we're, we're good at it until we're not anymore. Right. And we've all hit that point where we're, 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 we've been keeping everything going and then it just all falls on the ground and shatters among our feet. And so I think that's where we want to prevent ourselves from getting to that point. And I'm a person, this is what's crazy. Like this is just the, it shows you just the mindset issues that we're all working through still, right? I hire people and then I feel bad for giving them work to do that I could do. <laughs> right. And, and the whole point is like, it's, it's going to free up time for me, but like I feel guilty having extra time and giving work that I see as my work to others, even though I'm paying them for that and that's what they want to do. <laughs> it's like this crazy, no matter what I do, you feel guilty, right? Like that's the, that's the you know, especially if, if you're a mom, I feel like you know this, there's the, the working mom guilt of, oh, I should be with my kids right now because, you know, of course, every second of every day is, <laughs> is the amount of time we should be spending with our kids. And then there's the guilt of when you are with them, you're like thinking about work and you're just like, I got to get back to, you know, these 10 people have emailed me that I haven't gotten back to. And then, then you feel guilty about, well, I'm taking time off work and now I feel guilty that my employees are having to work while I'm taking time <laughs> off. And it's just this like, you're always guilty. I sit down to watch a TV show and I'm guilty to everyone because <laughs> somehow I should be, you know, giving my time to my team or my audience or my family or everyone else instead of me. And I just think that that is, that is, it's an unfortunate cause of this hustle culture, right? Like just hustle harder, just work harder, just work three. I hate the term side hustle, right? Just, you know, do all these things to reach your dreams and just wind up on the floor on the way there wondering what it was all for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an epidemic actually, I think in women and 
I think it's shifting. I hope it's shifting. And certainly it sounds like, you know, this kind of the stuff you're doing of helping. I love just the idea of empowering us as women, as entrepreneurs in general. But then, you know, how I always look at my daughter. We talk about, you know, she was saying like, oh, math is boring. And I was like, well, is it boring because it's easy or because it's hard? You know, just trying to understand and think back to the messages I was told about whether it was interesting to learn about numbers, Mm -hmm. you know, and shift that for her generation. Well, and that's the thing about numbers that, you know, they they get a bad rap, right? Like I tell people I'm a CPA and they're like, oh, okay. I'm like, but I'm not one of those, right? And so it is funny how numbers get such a bad rap, but then when you, when you learn to let them like empower you, you realize, you know, we have a saying that we talk about within my courses and things that numbers are possibilities. When you look at numbers as possibilities, all of a sudden there's a totally different feel that like anxiety you get when you think about, you know, you know, all the, all the financial side of things and the accounting and the taxes and all of that, that, that like contracting feeling becomes like so much more expansive when you're like, no, 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 that's possibilities. Um, and that's always the last step when I go through my program, which um, I have one signature program called Financial Fitness Formula, where at the end, after we go through like how to maximize your profit, do your profit margins and all that stuff, we do a forecast. And that forecast shows the possibilities of numbers. And so we look five years out to say, now that you've made these changes and now you know how to kind of project out your growth, right? Look at what you can do. And people come out of that feeling just this reinvigoration for their business that was just previously a couple months before burning them out. They're like, no, 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 I'm excited now. Like, I see what it's all for again. I see what I can do. I have, you know, dreams of what I want to do. You know, obviously that's always important too, right? Connecting it back to the thing that motivates you. And it, and oftentimes for, for us women, it's not money. And that's okay, right? We don't need to be overly motivated to hit you know, a million dollars or something like that. But that doesn't mean when we look at what money can do, that's that's often what motivates most of the women that I talk to. It's not money itself. It's not the things you can even buy with money. It's it's the options that money can give you. It's retiring your spouse, right? It's being able to travel and spend more time with your kids, being able to send your kids to college, you know, without ha- them having to take out student loans. There are so many possibilities. It's about giving to causes, right? That you, that are so important to you, women, um, by and large, right? Women just statistically give more of their money. When women are making money and when women are in a good place economically, they give more of their money away. They, you know, give things out to the community in a different way than typically men do. And yet the concentration of wealth, right, is still very, very much, you know, unbalanced. Um, and I talk about this a lot too, which is, I think it's gone up now. It was, the the, st- the stat was that 40% of businesses, private-owned businesses were owned by women. Um, now it's closer to 50% at this point, but still 40 or 50%, whatever you look at, the amount of revenue that women-owned businesses make is 4% versus owning 50% of businesses, right? And I do think that we are starting to go through this, you know, this era of not only anti-hustle culture, but also like reclaiming that economic balance a little bit. And so, you know, which I think is interesting, right? Because you think those two things are, are you know, opposite of each other. But I think that the fact that we're like, no, 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 we're going to charge what we're worth. We're going to not work ourselves to the bone and we're still going to be able to reap the rewards of it and do good things with that. Like that's, that's the vision that I have in doing the work that I do, right? Like that's the positive vision for the future and where we can go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
No, I feel that. And I think you're, uh, you're spot on with, it feels like they're in opposition, but they aren't. They're really, it's connected that we start to claim. And it's interesting as you were talking, like all the things we want include time and Mm -hmm. the freedom. And yet we don't give ourselves that. So really being able to see, you know, put on the real glasses and say, okay, what are the possibilities for my business? And what is, do you find too, that it translates into how women manage their finances in their home, in the home? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a, a, well, and I think it's interesting because you look also at, you know, typically, you know, finances in the home are managed by men. And so one of the things that I see a lot and, and that, you know, I try to kind of help women through is this idea that they're so used to running financial decisions by their husband or, you know, whoever in their life, sometimes even their dad, right? <laughs> like they're so used to that just to let them live into like, this is, if this is your business and your husband doesn't have a stake in your business, right? I mean, obviously it's different if you're requiring a financial, you know, um, if it requires something financially from your family, but your business is separate and we need to treat our business as separate from us. And sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Sometimes we commingle everything. We don't even really know how much our business makes because we're not really tracking it separately. We're not treating it like the business that it is. And we don't treat it like a business. It's not going to grow and scale like a business either. And so I think that's something is just really like letting women we are actually really good with money. Like there's this whole lie out there that like women aren't good with money. That's that's this lie that has been told you know, over generations basically to kind of to kind of keep you where you are, right? And the truth is that women statistically are actually better at managing money, right? When given the tools and the resources, even though they're much less likely to, you know, get access to capital and there are a lot more um, roadblocks in the way, when women do have money, right, we are better stewards of it oftentimes. Um, from a statistical perspective. And so this whole like women are bad with money thing, we've we've taught ourselves this and we tell ourselves this and it doesn't serve us in any capacity and it's not even remotely true. <laughs> well, that myth ends here. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> we are done with it. Put it away. <laughs> Put it away. I love it. Well, and you mentioned too, just being a busy mom, running this business. Now you have multiple courses and launches and Obviously, we had COVID this year. So where are you finding those moments of joy or, you know, the quiet, the peace within all that? Yeah, I think that is what my, so my word for the year, I like to set different words for the year. It was actually my word for last year and got thrown out the window because, you know, 2020, oh my goodness, dumpster fire. But um, (laughs) my word for this year now is margin. And so for me, It is, I used to think of margin, like last year I was like, okay, maybe it's pulling back a little bit. Maybe it's like making those goals less and leaving more room. And I think what I've realized now is no, 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 no. Creating margin, I can still grow and we're actually growing faster. And yet at the same time, I'm creating more margin for myself, right? I'm creating more time and flexibility and the ability, you know, in the middle of the day, I used to, you know, my kids, uh, my kids are home typically with with a sitter when I'm working, but they would, you know, want me to play a game with them or do something. And I would always just, I had this kind of time scarcity mindset of like, nope, I have, I have all this stuff to do and not nearly enough time to do it. And so now the things that are bringing me joy are actually saying, okay, when I start to feel that, like when I feel that time scarcity, that's oftentimes the time I'm like, you know what? I might need a little break actually. <laughs> like I might need to play a game with them or heck, I might need to just go on a walk by myself you know, with a glass of wine around the neighborhood, like whatever it is just to have 
some peace and notice when I start to feel that way that the best thing that I can actually do is step away and give myself that margin and that time. Because if I keep pushing when I feel that way, it's not, you know, I'm going to end up sleep deprived and angry at everybody. <laughs> and, you know, so now it's also a matter of, okay, what can I take off my plate, right? When I feel like that, what what am I doing that I don't need to be doing or that I could be doing two weeks from now and not right now? So there's also that assessment process of, how to create that margin when you feel that trigger within yourself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that you picked a financial word. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course you did. That's but beautiful. it works, right? Yes, I mean, margin, you know, yeah. it's, it's margin just means white space, right? Yeah. It's, it's extra space. Possibility. Mm -hmm. And so margin in your business, profit margins means space. It means you can breathe when you have profit margins. You can breathe when you have time margin, right? Um, so I'm looking for, I'm my margin, I want to grow my profit margins, but I also want to grow my time margin. And those things don't have to be in opposition of each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom. And um, you were mentioning too, you have an upcoming program in the fall. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, so the the this fall we're going to launch again. It's only open for a couple of days for enrollment because we do it as a class together. But we go through all of this where we go through pricing and profit margins and um, what to invest your money on and how to set up kind of a, a plan for cash flow that works for you. Um, and that's my financial fitness formula program. So anybody who's interested in that can go to jamietroll.com forward slash FFF. You can see more, make sure to sign up for the wait list. Um, we sometimes give uh, extra special bonuses and things to our wait list members. So make sure that you do that. I also have a just basic financial literacy. If, if anybody's in that place of like, I don't even know what a PL is. I don't even know what taxes I'm supposed to be paying or how these taxes are calculated. I have a basics course that's available all the time where you can go to jamietroll.com forward slash basics and check that out as well. Amazing. Awesome. And we will put all of your links in the show notes so that people can follow you and join your Facebook group and just hear all of your amazing wisdom. Because it's also really nice to be in a group of women having the conversation because there are things that come up all the time, whether it's PPP or you know just tax time or you know growth phases. It's nice to have, especially as an entrepreneur, to have that group of people talking the same language. Yes, absolutely. I think it's been really helpful and it's grown really fast. So our Facebook group is called Financial Literacy for Women Business Owners. Uh, if you come over and join us, we grew by um, about 30,000 extra members in the last year. So, so it has grown really, really fast, which is kind of crazy. Uh, but I think it's because of that, right? There's a community and it's a safe place to ask questions and it's a safe place to connect with others and get experiences from other women who are trying to build businesses and also probably doing all the other things, right? So there's uh, kind of that sense of camaraderie there. And I do a lot of free trainings and things like that in there. So that's definitely a place to start um, if you're kind of at that, like, I don't know what to do <laughs> stage. Amazing. Well, thank you again, for coming and sharing and being on the show today. Yeah, thank you. This was so much fun. If you love this podcast, and I so hope you did, please subscribe. That way you'll get real-time updates anytime I post a new episode. Feeling inspired and want to share the joy? Leave a review so others can find the podcast more easily. Want to hang out more with me? You can find me on the interwebs at www.anyarock.com. That's A-I-N-E 
R-O-C-K. And I'm also on Instagram at Anya underscore rock your joy. Till next time, rock your joy. This episode was produced by Dante32.